Good, good morning, church. There we go. Good to have you here this morning. On this beautiful Sunday morning. Turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of your Son, Jesus. His death and His resurrection by freedom for us. Lord, we pray that our lives would be marked with the work of Your Spirit. That we would be changed and transformed to each and every day look more and more like Your Son. We would be drawn together as a community of believers in unity with one mind, and that we would shine lights into this dark uh, world. Lord, it's in your precious uh, and holy Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, Philippians chapter 2, again this morning, we're going to be in verse 12. Therefore, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Again, Spirit of God, we ask that your, your presence and your work would be known in our hearts this morning as we, as we study the word. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue through uh, Philippians, we will keep our pattern as as we almost always do and, and remind ourselves of the context. And one of the things that I want to kind of point out to us this morning is, is something that we're going to start to see as we go through uh, the remainder of Philippians. We're starting to see the fullness of this uh, pattern. Paul is, as I've mentioned before, he's a he's a train of thought writer and preacher and teacher, whatever. Um, but what he does or how he kind of moves his train forward uh, very often is he does so kind of in cycles, meaning that he has his his main point and he's kind of building out this this kind of thought or argument, not not that he's arguing with somebody, but kind of the the progression of of teaching, kind of, we call it an argument. 
trying to teach us something. He's trying to tell us something. He, and he does so by kind of circling this argument. And then as he comes back around, he'll kind of repeat himself a little bit. But as he, as he repeats himself, he kind of starts to build on his original statement. And he'll do so again and again and again through many of his letters, where he'll, he'll say the same things, but he'll do so and he'll take a particular aspect of that, that thing that he's already said, and he'll, he'll expand upon that and he'll, he'll, he'll develop that thought uh, more and more as we go through the letter until typically at the end, whenever he kind of gets to, his, to, the, to the culmination of what he's trying to teach. And so thus far in, in Philippians, so far in Philippians, we've looked at kind of the, the lens that Paul wants us to see with, see with, which is kind of coming to us in verses 12 to 26 of chapter 1, where Paul, he, he expresses his, his faith in the, the sovereign control of God in the midst of suffering. No matter what happens, Paul trusts that God is in control. And while this is not the point of the letter to the Philippians, it's supposed, to, it's supposed to color the way we see the rest of the letter. And so we, we put this kind of lens on. Paul is encouraging us to put our faith in the sovereignty of God and in the fact that God is always, always in control. He is always in control and will always win in the end. So while it may be Satan who is trying to stop Paul and trying to throw him in prison and bringing up opposition, Satan does not, does not win. Right, And so Paul trusts in the sovereignty of God. He has faith in the sovereignty of God, no matter what the situation. And then he calls us to this same faith in that sovereignty. And then he uses this lens to, to kind of help us understand the, the rest. Right? So we put that kind of in the back of our minds. And then verse 27, he starts his first cycle. He starts his first cycle, and he, he does so amazingly vaguely, right? He, he gives us this kind of progression of events. He says, only let your life, let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live out your life in righteousness and holiness as we are called to because of, in scripture. And he says that the reason why I want you to do this is because this will lead, lead you to having unity within the body of believers. He doesn't even say that this is, what's, this is going to lead to this. He just simply says, because you're going to do this, I, I, I know that this will be the outcome. He doesn't explain how. He doesn't talk about why or, or what the process is. He just says this is what's going to happen. And then from this, we see that the gospel uh, goes forth. Uh, the gospel goes forth. And it's, and it's extremely, there's it's a huge overarching statement that he gives little to no explanation in. But this is really the point of most, if not all, of the book of Philippians. That as we as individuals are, we, as, as, we in, as individuals are sanctified, I've been talking about this, I've been using that word a lot, and I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more today. As we individu- as individual Christians are sanctified, this, this inevitably draws us closer together with fellow believers, and that the unity of fellow believers drives us to evangelism in the world. This is really the point of Philippians. And he, he, he starts off with this very small circle. And then he builds upon that circle as we get into chapter 2, what we looked at last week. And what he talks about in what we looked at last week is how it goes from personal sanctification to corporate unity. 
in how the, the Word of God or the, the law that we see in the Old Testament, which is, which is an expression of, of God's being, largely teaches us how to live at peace with each other. This is kind of what the Old Testament is all about. And so as we, as we seek to, to, to be the law, or as we seek to be changed by the law, as we seek to be, to be more Christ-like, what we find is that we, is that we inevitably are told to live in community. We're told to be at peace with the people in the community. And that's kind of what we're after as a community. And so he tells us in verse 3 of chapter 2, do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. We could really boil down uh, many of the, of the laws in the Old Testament, many of the things that we're told to, to do and to change about ourselves in the New Testament even, to this one statement. It very much mirrors the second commandment as Jesus, you know, Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, what's the greatest commandment? That love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? This is much of what the law teaches us. So naturally, because much of the law is about how we interact with each other, unity comes forth from that. And so he's kind of built and expanded upon that, that, that idea. We are, we are seeking personal holiness and righteousness by letting the manner of our lives be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And because we're doing that, this inevitably leads us to think of others more highly than ourselves. And then he gets today's passage where he's going to expand now his, his third kind of point in his three-point plan. So the first thing that Paul says is he comes back around to the start of the argument. He comes back around to the start of the argument. Um, <clears throat> see, I got the wrong verse here up on your screen. Here we go. It says, therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this is, again, a, a repetition in different words of the first thing that we came to uh, in verse 27 of chapter 1. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Take action, it sounds like what Paul is saying. Now, we have to kind of challenge ourselves a little bit. This is a passage that is very often memorized by Christians. There's actually quite a few passages in the book of Philippians that are memorized by Christians. And this is very, very good. But but some of the time where we kind of fall short when we memorize passages of Scripture is that, is that oftentimes we're memorizing a single verse, and we do so without the context that's around it. And so we'll, we'll memorize, work out your own, uh, your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we think that, that what Paul is calling us to, because we're taking it out of the context of the rest of Philippians, is that Paul is calling us to a, 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 synergist, a synergistic relationship with God in, in terms of our salvation. Or maybe better put, in terms of our justification. What I mean by synergistic relationship is that, is that God has a part and I have a part. And, and, and both of us have to play that part in order to, to be justified. But this is not what Scripture teaches us. This, in fact, is not what Paul's teaching us in Philippians, and in this verse in particular also. I've been talking about kind of the three maybe different parts 
of the whole understanding of salvation from Scripture. We can talk about salvation as a whole, meaning meaning from the from the point when we when we place our faith in Jesus until the the point when we enter into eternity with God. We can talk about that as salvation as a whole picture, or we can kind of break it down into to, to three parts. And and I'm breaking all sorts of theological or doctrinal rules by by breaking it down and talking about them completely individually. But but bear with me. So we talk about justification, and Paul talks about justification in Romans chapters 1 through 8, which we study. Right? Romans chapters 1 through 8, and he talks about how, how, how we, are, we are justified by faith alone. And, ju- and justification is, is, the, is the point in which we go from not being saved, not having faith in Jesus, to having faith in Jesus, and to being covered by his work on the cross. And it is entirely, entirely Christ's work. It has absolutely nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my own righteousness, both before and after. It is incomplete. It's completely Jesus. Excuse me. It's completely his work. And what we see in this particular verse, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, is Paul is not talking about justification here. He's not talking about justification here. He's talking to a a, a community of believers who have already passed this point. And now there's the continuation of salvation in our lives. Because salvation is not just that point. It continues. And that's what sanctification is. Where we we go from, from the point of justification and we look a lot like our old selves until the point when we enter into into heaven, which we call glorification, the the process that happens between those two points is is the work of the Spirit of God changing and transforming me into more Christ-likeness. And so this is a little bit more what Paul is talking about here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's the same thing that James is talking about when he says that faith without works is dead. Faith without action is dead. It's, he's, not, he's not implying that, that our works are what save us. No, it's the work of Christ. And the work of the Spirit is what transforms us. The other problem that we have with this particular verse is that we think of it in an individualistic way. We live in a culture that is, that is almost entirely individualistic. We think Everything is everything that we think is funneled through the idea of, of me, which is only natural because sin is selfishness, and, and the more the more sin goes unchecked in the culture, the more the more individualist, the more selfish we become. But but scripture is not spoken to an individualistic culture. Scripture is spoken to a community. And what Paul is saying here is he's not talking to the individuals of the church in Philippi. He's talking to the church in Philippi. Is therefore, my beloved, as, as you, plural, have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your, plural, own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, plural, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul is talking to the community of believers. And what he is talking about is is the the outcome of salvation in our lives. See, what what we are taught in Scripture happens to us when the blood of Jesus covers me. It's freedom. 
Right? Many of us, I think, because we're perhaps not thinking of it fully, we stop at justification. And, 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 and yes, it's fantastic. It's absolutely wonderful that, that because Jesus has died on the cross for me, I am now reconciled to my God. It's fantastic, right? We can all say amen to that. But there is so much more promised to us in Scripture, not the least of which is freedom from sin and death and, and, and bondage to sin and death. And so what, what faith is and what, what happens through the, through the Spirit of God in my life is this, is this sanctification, this, this process of being changed and transformed into the image of Christ because of that freedom bought to us by Christ on the cross. And so as I think about it, I am free. So what we do is we go, oh, man, I'm so glad that Jesus paid the debt. Because we are. Jesus did pay the debt. But he also won for us freedom in this life, which, which means that I, I no longer have to be bound to sin. I no, I no longer have to be bound to, to sin that is, that is habit in my life. To give probably, I think, the clearest picture that we can see in, in, in our world, right, is, is when, when somebody who has lived a life of, of addiction, say, to, to, hard, to hard drugs, heroin or cocaine or something along those lines. By the way, you know, uh, cognitively, hormonally, when, when a person takes heroin, for the rest of their life, they will deal with heroin addiction. They'll have a, a pull and a drive. They'll, they'll always feel the desire to use heroin. And, and what's amazing is we see Christians, we see people who live their life addicted to, to, to drugs like heroin and cocaine, and, and they, they come to know Jesus, and for the rest of their life, they no longer suffer from that, from that addiction. It's, it's gone, right? It's a complete freedom that, that cannot be explained in any other way. Now, we also have to admit that that doesn't happen to everybody doesn't happen to everybody. And it doesn't mean that the people that it doesn't happen to don't have enough faith. That's not what we're saying. But there is this immediate change and this immediate, this immediate, it's, it's vanished out of our lives, out of their lives. And it's amazing. And this is the freedom and the, the, the magnitude of the freedom that is promised us in Scripture. Yet so many of us live as if Jesus only did that one thing and now he doesn't really care what's going on in my life. But if I believe that I am free, if I believe what Scripture teaches me, if I believe that I'm free from sins, should I not walk in that freedom? I think a lot of times our struggle is that we just simply don't take action on what we're promised in Scripture. We stand still and we wonder, why am I still struggling with this? Probably because you're not working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But, but notice the danger of thinking in that manner. Because what, what even just in, in explaining it, what I've done is, it, is I've put us in a dangerous place to think that it's only about the individual. Let me say what I think Paul is actually trying to teach us here. I think what Paul is saying here is he's saying that sanctification happens in the midst of community. We are changed and transformed because of the community that God has formed. It's in the collective sitting and listening to a sermon that we can be changed by the words that are said. 
It's not just about listening. See, sometimes that's, that's the fault that we have. We come to the church on Sunday and we listen to the sermon and, oh, that's nice. But probably very rarely do we, do we talk with each other about what that means. What did, what did Ryan mean when he said that? Let's think about it. Let's talk about it. Let's go deeper in. This is why for the last couple of weeks we've been talking, I've been talking a lot about how we're changing up our midweek Bible study. Because it's in the midst of community that we are changed. It's the midweek Bible studies where we can dig in and ask questions no matter what is going on. I can ask, I can ask any question that I want because I just this is the place where we can where we can be safe and ask these questions. I can't ask those questions of other Christians in any other situation. I can't do it at home when I'm reading my Bible by myself. Even though that's hugely important. And yes, God will work through regular scripture reading by yourself. Yes, absolutely. But the predominant way that scripture shows us is through community. And so Paul says, work out your plural salvation, your own salvation with fear and trouble. Take action together, he says. And it's not just in the church. It happens in other places. You know, Bible studies in your home, it's Family worship, Missy and I, we have a practice of, of, of family worship. And family worship sounds really scary, but it's from the book Family Worship by Donald, which I've re- recommended many times before. But, but Missy and I try every night. We don't succeed every night because we have young children and hectic lives. But we try every night to read the Bible with our children and to pray with our children. And we do regularly sing with our children. Actually, almost we almost never have non Christian worship music in the car when we're driving. Because these are the places where not only Missy and I are iron sharpening iron, but where we're we're showing our children what it means to be in community together and to think about the word and to talk about to talk about what God is doing in our lives and to pray for help and to pray for thanks and, and to do these things. We can do these in our homes together. It's not complicated. We can do it in this setting. It's it's great. But we can do it in Wednesday night Bible study. But it's all, it's all in, in response to the work that Christ has done for us, justifying us in the sight of God. And now instilled with the Holy Spirit, we are, we are driven into sanctification. And, and what's really the most important part of this verse is verse 13. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, a lot of times, again, we go, oh, man, I really want to change. You know what that is? That's God instilling in you a desire to change. Left to yourself, you don't care. It's God's His will for you to, to will His this change. And then, not only does He give us the, the desire to change, but He gives us the power to change. But so often we stand and we go, Oh, I guess I don't, I guess I'll just keep being broken. God must not want me to change because I, I don't have the strength to. Actually, you do. But again, again, this is so, it's so huge. It's such a massive statement. There's no particulars in there. No details come out of this particular. How do I work out my salvation with fear and trembling? How is it that God does this? And so here's where Paul's going to get a little bit more specific. Here's where the, the argument, the circle of his argument gets extended just a little bit. He said the same thing in the last, in last, in the last uh, passage. 
Now he's going to expand it. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as, as lights in the world. Hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain but, or labor in vain. Again, there's no specifics. Because we have the specifics. See, we could go to the Old Testament, and, and I've, I use this illustration a lot because I think it's, a, I think it's an Ill, easy illustration to follow. What Paul is saying here is seek God, seek what he is calling, in, uh, seek the change that he is calling to you in, in your life, and do so without grumbling or disputing. This then leads to blamelessness and innocence and, 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 and blemishlessness. Not a word, but... There's a law in the Old Testament in Leviticus that says that if you own a field, you're not supposed to harvest the corners of the field. And the reason why you're not supposed to harvest the corners of the field is because if there's ever sojourners or poor among you, that you're there, that's for them. Now, you'll notice if you studied the law in the Old Testament that there's no, there's no asterisks attached to this passage. It doesn't say only put enough up there for the number of people who are in your community that don't have don't have food or don't have money to buy food. It doesn't say that if they're poor because of their own foolish decisions, you need to guard it and don't let them eat. It just says simply feed those who need fed. A lot of times, right, so often Christians totally just ruin everything because we, we, we look at other people and we say, it's your fault. Really, how dare we, right? It might be. But that's not what God calls us to do. He says feed the poor. Feed the poor. Simple as that. So what do we do? We go, we go, oh man. I know I'm supposed to feed the poor. Oh, I hate it. We grumble. And then and then somebody like somebody like your pastor says something that's foolish is we're supposed to feed the poor, no matter the situation of life. And you go, I don't know if I agree with that. And so then we start to argue. Well, well, here's what it says. And you say, well, what about this verse? And we start to fight instead of doing the thing that God calls us to do. And what do we do? Well, in fact, what we're doing is we're taking our focus off of the things that we can actually change about ourselves, work out your own salvation, fear and trembling. We put it on something that's completely useless. And we aren't Christ to the world. Instead, we should do things without grumbling or disputing. All things, Paul says. All things. It's annoying when Paul says all things, right? I want those, I want those side things that allow me to do some grumbling and some disputing. But what what is it for? We're here on this earth so that the kingdom of God might spread. And there are whole, there's whole genres of Christian literature that are dedicated to how we evangelize. Go into a, you know, Lifeway books or Berean books or whatever bookstore there is, and you'll find a section on apologetics, and you'll find a section on 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 evangelism. And those are all great, but sometimes, many times, many times, 
we forget the simplest process that is laid out for us here in Scripture. Look to ourselves first. Look to ourselves first. And then, and then as we look to ourselves, we'll see how it changes the way we interact with each other. And as we change the way we interact with each other, we will not just, it's not just part of the process, but it's, it's the outcome of the process that we become light in a dark world. Many of us are actually really dark because we don't seek the change that God is calling us to. We don't trust that he has given us the will and the work. Simply live our lives as we've always lived them. And then we wonder, why is the church not growing? I think what we're going to see as we go through this is Paul's going to take this and he's going to expand it a little bit more as we go through the rest of Philippians. This is the process. I can't change you, but I can change me. Then we get to verse 17 and Paul says something unusual. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. It seems again that Paul has made a pretty dramatic shift, but I don't think he's made a pretty dramatic shift. I think he's rather bringing that thing that was in the back of our mind to the forefront of our mind. Because throughout all of this, as we become more noticed by the world, the thing that we're told in Scripture, I think almost promised in Scripture, is that the world is going to hate us. The world is going to rebel against us. It's going to, it's going to stone people like Paul. It's going to throw people in prison. We can see it in, in the Middle East and in, and in Asia and China and in Africa where the church is just, just literally just exploding at numbers that are rivaling the early church, by the way. As the, as the church becomes more of a light in the world, the, the world tries to stifle it. And so as we think about these things, we go, I want this change to happen. I'm going to start to, to, to do these things so this change will happen. They're always in the back of our minds, the world is going to try to stop us, and it, it's okay. That's what the world is supposed to do. And God is not taken off guard by this. In fact, he knows that it's going to happen because God is in control. So here's what Paul says to bring this back to our mind. He says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering, what does he mean? In the ancient, in the ancient world at this particular time, not just in Israel, but in, in many of the cultures that had sacrificial systems, had sacrificial worship, meaning they, they sacrificed like the people of Israel with, with animal sacrifices and, 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 and uh, drink offerings and things of that nature, but like the scriptures teach us. Is that what you would do is you would, you would make a sacrifice, say a lamb. You put it on the altar and you light it on fire. You're going to make the sacrifice. This is the sacrifice of the Lord, sweet Roman hymn. You can do that, and that's an act of worship. That's an act of, of uh, uh, seeking forgiveness for sins and things of that nature. But another thing that you could do is you could you could almost escalate it a little bit by making a second offering on top of the original offering. That's what he calls a drink offering, something like wine. So you have the you have the first offering is burning to the Lord. Is, is being sacrificed, and you pour out the drink offering upon the burning offering. And it kind of just amplifies what you're trying to do. And so 
we live, as Paul says in Romans 12, as living sacrifices to the Lord. We have freedom of will. We can do what we want. Not, not that it's right, but we can do the things that we want. And so we change and transform our lives. We work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, as not as a, as a means for us to reach salvation, but as a way to, to worship the God who has rescued us. That's the, that's the sacrifice, the sacrificial offering of our faith. That's, that's us placed. That's the first thing. But Paul says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering on your faith offering, I can be glad and I can rejoice. So he's saying that even if I'm in prison, because I have preached the gospel, and, and, and yeah, Paul said earlier, I think that I'm going to be released. I think that I'll continue to minister because that's, that's more to your benefit than to mine. He says, even though I think that, even if I am killed, I know that God is still in control. And it is a, a sacrifice to him. His, Paul's literal death is a sacrifice to God. Because Paul believes that his imprisonment isn't, isn't a victory from Satan, but rather is, is purposed by God to advance the gospel. And this is something that we can be glad and rejoice in. That as, as life, as we live our lives in response to the, to the salvation given to us by Christ, as the Spirit moves and transforms and changes us, and the, and the unity of the believers amplifies, and we become brighter and brighter in this world, and the world tries to stop us, we can, we can hold fast in knowing that this is God's plan. And that because it's God's plan, more lost sinners will be saved. And that, I think, as individuals and as, as a congregation, we can be glad. And we, can, we can rejoice. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your good plans. We trust that your word teaches us that we have freedom in Christ. And that freedom will manifest itself in changed hearts and changed actions and a change of our desires and things that we will. We thank you that your promise doesn't just tell us about a moment, but tells us about the continuation of this power being, being instilled and grown in us through the power of your Spirit. We thank you that as we submit ourselves to this, we will see unity of body unity in the church, not just here at Christ Church, but the church globally. And that when we are drawn together and we live out what you have called us to, we will become brighter and brighter examples of Christ in this world. So that more people who desperately need your, your son might see his life reflecting from us 
and I come to know you. And no matter the opposition, no matter the struggle that we might go through, we know that you will continue to advance the good news going forth. And we are glad that you rejoice and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name.